the Worldcraft Club Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, a time devoted to world building and its impact on narrative, where we discuss any and all topics involving the crafting of fictional settings to inspire your creativity. My name is James. And my name is Seth. And we are your hosts for this delightful half hour. Welcome, Worldcraft Club members. I am very excited today to introduce to you Doug and Allie from the RPG for You and Me podcast. Welcome to the club, guys. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. This is very cool. We're very excited. Awesome. We are too. Look, um, I thought we'd just kick it off with this. What are you guys doing? What is RPG for You and Me? What are, what are you making? Oh, man. An actual play, audio drama, slice of life. What is it anymore? <laughs> I, I'd call it, it's an actual play, tabletop role-playing game podcast. So a lot of people are familiar with Critical Role, which I yeah. think is the, the biggest show that's brought it to the mainstream. So similar to that, but it's just the two of us. Uh, we are a married couple, so we have an interesting dynamic, but it's a one-player RPG, and uh, it's all about world-building and examining that character's interactions <laughs> so uh this so rpg for you and me is our podcast uh the specific story that we're telling is called neon heat it's our first mm. campaign it's our first campaign uh it follows athena who is basically an ex-cop from her hometown of caldonix they're called regulators so she is an ex-regulator who fled the city uh due to a specific uh event that she witnessed that she should mm, not that she have. should not have seen, and is now uh, seven years having to finally return to the city to set things right. So it's yeah. kind of an anti-corruption justice fanfare. On her very first character sheet, where it said goals, I just wrote justice in all caps with a question mark. Though <laughs> <laughs> it works. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> very angrily committed so to that question. Of... Yeah. yeah. So it's um, it's Athena's mission to return home and put things right in her mind but she did not consider the fallout of her leaving i mean she's thought about it but hasn't come to grips with it physically so sure like athena when i'm listening to other actual plays a lot of times some of the characters will be like oh well i'm a rogue all my family's dead i've got no ties <laughs> athena has so many ties yeah. she's a character that's very much so defined by her bonds and her relationships and i really like exploring those which i feel like we're very able to do because <laughs> yeah. i don't always like editing combat and <laughs> i'm like doug please just let's talk for another episode <clears throat> you never have to twist my arm to do that you know like character <laughs> development yeah yeah i'll definitely say so i've got i've gotten a chance to listen to uh, a bunch of it so i uh for for our listeners i've been moving house so i've been doing tons of painting so i've had all this opportunity just to kind of ingest loads of material so it's been um i think i'm about six episodes in so far and it's kind of neat to see a two-player um actual play podcast kind of unfold because usually you have this big group of people and it's a it's a round table kind of thing but this has a much more intimate feel to it. i love that you guys said you know it's a bit like a drama a bit like slice of life because usually you're kind of thinking well when's the next combat coming you know or something like that with this i find myself more interested in kind of 
Athena returning to the city and like what that's like for her and kind of exploring your world more. So I definitely affirm that. And what what system were you guys using? We're actually using Savage Worlds. Um, it's Doug, you're so much better at this. <laughs> well, I, I would first like to say thank you for giving the show a try. It's I it's always flattering that, you know, people are out there that are want to listen to the things we're producing and we have fun with it. So Thank it. you for giving it a try. And I'm glad you're enjoying it's it. It's wild. Like, I can't believe that people are just listening to us <laughs> once a week. That's <laughs> So uh, the actual question, Savage Worlds is a game system. So it's the mechanics for the game. Yeah. Uh, much like Dungeons and Dragons is a game system for storytelling and things like that. Hmm. Okay. But, that's uh, cool. The dice work in a different way, but it all comes down to... In D&D, you might say, I'm going to be a paladin, or I will be a cleric. And then there's a chart with 20 levels, and it shows you exactly what happens when you hit level 2. Whereas in Savage Worlds, if your character advances and gets stronger, you might get one point that you could put into an attribute or a skill or a power, and you could build your character in any way you want to, but they don't have to be a cleric and get all these things with cleric. They could be... Uh, a regular farmer who just happens to know how to cast this one spell and you can come up with whatever reason you want. I love that. And I think you guys definitely use this system to its full capability because I noticed that like whenever you introduce like a a key character NPC that comes in, I think, uh, Doug, I noticed that you take a lot of delight in kind of going, and then they do this. And it's like, it's always <laughs> kind of like, really out there and something that like Athene has not seen before and is like wow okay this character is capable of doing this this and this and those like different cocktails of abilities mean you just have this crazy flexible system which makes for which suits your world really really well it seems to me like it's very uh technicolor neon like tron like whatever you want to throw in there it kind of feels like you can just it just bounces right back with savage worlds and also your combat's very quick and kinetic unlike uh i'd say more kind of heavily crunch oriented systems so that that i find kind of really cool as well it seems to move things along really quickly i think that's so, a really uh, good way of on, summarizing yeah yeah that's rad uh, so just to wind it back a little bit um do you want to give us like a brief history of the world what what is the world that you're actually creating um well the stage of world building that we're at is we don't even have a specific name for the setting um, mm -hmm. what the area that we're focusing on in the world that we've created is very, very small. So most of the focus is on an extremely tiny region with two cities very nearby. And that's where the microscope is currently pointed. Um, yeah. we've, I, I have purposefully tried not to flesh out a lot of the meta aspects of the world itself, aside from the major defining trait is there was this flash ice age about 200 years before our story takes place that hmm. changed the face of the world. And I guess you could call it like an apocalyptic event, although I never really considered our setting to be post-apocalypse. I guess it I is. I guess it kind of is. But that's Whoops. never the vibe I was going for. Um, <laughs> yeah. So there was an ice age that killed most people and all the survivors had to either find a way to survive in these frozen wastes or find shelter within the existing environment. Um, so in this specific instance... The city that we focus on is called Caldonix, and it uh, it's a subterranean city. So it's underground in this mountain range, and uh, survivors from the surface fled there 200 years ago, and civilization started to build back up in there. And the main conflict is now that the surface has reconnected with these subterranean cities, so there are these waste-faring people who have 
poor cobbled together technology, but there's a lot of them and they're angry and pissed off. And then you have these, you know, happy little elitist cities with super tech that don't want people coming in and, but they need the resources from the surface. So there has to be some sort of give and trade and bartering in there too. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of tension between kind of haves and have nots. Cause I I was thinking to myself as you were saying, you know, Oh, is it post-apocalyptic when, Athena, the the main character played by Ali, is is on the surface. It's um, it, it kind of depends where where the action's taking place, and you could reasonably have it on the surface and kind of be like, well, this is kind of post apocalyptic. I mean, there's there's kind of an organized culture. It's two hundred years since it, so it's kind of things are kind of coming back together. It's a little bit like Fallout with the New California Republic. You know, it's like there's a government and a police station, and somebody you know manages the sewers, but it's still kind of a wasteland. And uh, then you have Caldonix, which is like, it's, it's, it's very beautiful in the way you describe it. Like there's, there's a lot of moments where you just kind of have these like vistas of the city and you talk about kind of the, the kind of innate warmth and beauty of the city. And um, I'd love you to dive a little bit more into that. What, what was kind of your inspiration as, as you were creating Caldonix as this underground city? Because the first thing I think is, you know, oh, it's like Vault Vault 111. You know what I mean? Like cramped hallways, this kind of thing. But Caldonix doesn't feel like that at all. So what, what was your thoughts on that? I just, I really love the the synth wave. I guess they, I just recently learned this. The aesthetic is called Outrun outrun just outrun is like the the 80s synth wave kind of vibe visual neon vibe um i don't know i just i fell in love with that i i went to temple university in philadelphia for a couple of years Hmm. so i lived in philly for a couple of years and you know i i'd never lived in a city before and i was Hmm. always more comfortable just at night you know just i i enjoyed the quiet and not I don't like crowds, so I didn't like bustling into people. So there's just some, there's something magical about being able to walk through a city at night and, you know, nothing ever truly goes to sleep. There's always something happening and there's just these pockets of warm, bright light in this expanding darkness. So I just kind of wanted to dial that up to 11 and say, you know, it's underground, it's subterranean, it's this enormous cavern where you can't see the roof but there's these dots of crystal light that kind of look like stars. So it's this weird combination of, I know I'm underground and I can see the walls, but I can't see the ceiling. So it kind of feels like it goes on forever. Just that ever present night. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it never, it's never day down there. Right. Yeah. No, I really like that. There's, there's kind of an intimacy to that. Like there's, um, there's, yeah. there's this painting I love and it's, it's a, um, it's a darkened city street, but all you can see is a diner with these big bay windows open on it, mm-hmm. and the light's kind of pouring out from the diner, and there's just a, a couple in there who you imagine were kind of out partying, and they just stopped in there for a cup of coffee before they head back home for the night, and just some other dude kind of minding his business and reading a paper in there, and there's that sense that like it, it's kind of like this little island of light in the middle of a, of a city that's kind of mm-hmm. you know asleep in different places. That's really cool. I remember studying that painting in college. <laughs> really? <laughs> I think but it's Nighthawks. Is that so it? That, that might be. Yeah, that it's, sounds a, right. it's certainly a famous Man, painting. If I so could I remember who it might have been. Oh, geez, I can't remember who yeah. did it. But I, I think that's a really interesting way to put it. You know, it's a it's an island of light in the darkness. And um, I don't know. For for me, it was always I, I know people are afraid of the dark. And, you know, the, the fear yeah. of the dark is the fear of the unknown and all that. But like me, I, I, I never really, yeah, I, ne- I never really <laughs> felt that way. So I just yeah. I like being a night owl and I was awake at night and 
there weren't many other people that were, so it was just very peaceful. So I guess I wanted to try to reflect that in a certain way. Yeah. As sort of a mirror of Doug, I have never lived in a city. He lived outside <laughs> Orlando for a couple years, and you yeah. do not want to walk around even in the daytime there sometimes. <laughs> um, sure, yeah. <laughs> People throwing I'm, gators and whatnot. So I've never lived in a yeah. city. I'm terrified of the dark. Mm. But I was like, hey, maybe I can live vicariously in this nighttime city and get over that a little bit. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Mm. No, I like that a lot. I, that's so wild. Nighthawks, I'll have to remember that because I've always loved that painting. And and that's kind of some of the really stuff you were one. talking. Yeah, yeah. I I, I, I kind of sense like in a lot of ways, like the darkness of night or the early mornings uh, kind of can feel like you're alone in a in a very mm-hmm. busy and crowded place, but you're kind of not. And you kind of exchange that knowing look with other people who like that time of day, you know, like walking to mm-hmm. work or something yeah. like that, just drinking their coffee like, yep, I'm up at this time because I want to be left alone and you are too. So let's just keep it that way. Um, but, um <laughs> Yeah, so uh, that's that's really wild. Like I love that. So there was this there was this apocalyptic event that drove people underground though for the purposes of of you know like basically getting away from it. So can we dive a little more into that cuz I think there was um some some kind of pretty crazy side effects from that, right? Yes. Sure, yeah. You know. Jump in. Man, I'll try. <laughs> I'll take it if you want, but I don't so- want to step on you. On the whole, Doug is a lot more knowledgeable on the setting than I am because he wants to keep some surprises for later to keep me on my toes, <laughs> which I which I appreciate because I love it. But um, basically what had happened was the Ice Age was caused, uh, it's called the Zero, like mm. Absolute Zero kind of was the cataclysm itself. Yeah. And it was caused by this energy source that was growing inside the planet and it was sucking all the warmth and heat out of everything to try and grow and then yeah so the the emergence of this super energy which has been dubbed cory mm. uh and it's basically the the fantasy super energy of the setting which rendered 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 <laughs> the surface uh and caused all these cataclysmic events but has now been harnessed uh to power things you know uh, the city resources tools weapons uh everything you can imagine it comes in a lot of different forms too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You, got, you know, solid crystals, gases, just liquid pools of it up mm-hmm. on the surface. And it's it, just ever present now. Yeah, and it also caused um, rampant mutation in the populace. So that's yeah. kind of where everybody gets there. In Savage Worlds, they're called arcane backgrounds, but it's basically okay. you know spells, powers, abilities, things like that. So this is a, a super powered setting where even the average person has a good chance of just being born with these abilities and. Even if they don't pursue it, you know, little grandma walking down the street could potentially shoot a fireball at you. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> you got to look out for grandmas, man. You don't know. You don't know what they're doing. Um, <laughs> you just never know. They can't lift a carton of milk, but they can sure burn your face off. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I kind of like this idea as well that, like, even the quarry doesn't necessarily take a, a standard shape. I mean, it seems usually crystals uh, in, in, in the setting. But I like this notion that there's like pools of it and it kind of runs in the veins of people. And I think you even have a, a, a synthetic race, isn't that right? In there that, that runs off of Cory energy mm-hmm. as well. Um, what were they called again? The the Arrow. Arrow. There you go. Yeah. I mean, they kind of come out of nowhere. That's interesting. I like listening to the, the kind of casual racism that gets thrown around about them once in a while, calling them robots or whatever. But they're, uh, they're really like yeah, a Yeah, people from the surface, race. they don't really trust them. 
Yeah. Yeah, the Arrow, um, there, I mean, in any, in most, you know, sci-fi settings, there's going to be the question of artificial intelligence, and I think it's been done very much, but I, I didn't want to put too big of a spin on it, and I didn't want to fall into the too many convenient tropes of, you know, the overt racism of organics versus <laughs> yeah. synthetics. So uh, the way that I kind of skirted around that is that because the Arrow are native to the city of Caldonics, everything's totally fine there. You know, people in Caldonics know that they're sentient people and to treat them normally, but anybody from the surface who's never encountered anything like that before is going to be certainly more wary. And um, the history is kind of like they took AI down into the underground when this cataclysm happened and then their energy ran out and then they started to have to use Cory as a power source once they figured out how to do that. And when they powered this AI with the Cory, the AI gained sentience, you know, through the use oh, of this wow. super energy and it sort of spiraled from there. So people on the surface are like, yeah, you got robots, but they're still just robots. And Athena yeah. is offended deeply every single time. Yeah. 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 Cause Man, she, she grew up with that. Arrow. They're just people. That's wild. Like it's, it's it's neat to me like there's so much flexibility in this setting it's one of the things that i really like about it is that even down to like your kind of super material it doesn't really necessarily have like a a coherent shape it kind of takes the form that is kind of it, it leaves a lot of room for convenience kind of in terms of building your narratives but it also you've built enough cohesion around its use that like even down to um even down to the wum 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 sounds that it makes and uh, <laughs> things, things like that. Or like if somebody powers up a gun, it goes wum 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 wum. We know Corey, Corey energy has something to do with it. And even just those little True. bits of like coherence make it so that it's plausible. So it's kind of like, we know what Corey does. We know what it's capable of doing just enough. But at the same time, there's like a lot of fuzzy around the edges in it. So like, Seth and I are fascinated by this concept of um, soft and hard world building, right? So um, I think the guy's name is Brian Sanderson, I want to say, has written about different forms of magics and having hard and soft systems. And um, my understanding of it is functionally like a hard system when you're telling a story and you have this, this really hard and rigidly defined system you can turn around and solve problems by, via clever application of those systems. So an example might be wand lore in Harry Potter, where um, you, they're, they're kind of going back and forth about who has the Elder Wand, and that becomes germane at the, at the end, and that's like a hard system. But like a soft system might be more like the ring in Lord of the Rings, where we know that it really powerful and for some reason it turns people invisible and sauron really wants it and it's kind of associated with sin you know and i've become <laughs> yeah it's it's like a it's 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 an amorphous thing we don't really know and so i've become more fascinated lately with kind of softer world building concepts because i think there's um a disposition in um kind of especially a lot of uh, sci-fi readers and and the stronger you know uh lore, lore keeping well actually kind of community that really likes hard systems and i think sometimes the soft systems fall out of favor over time because we kind of like nice rigid lines and solid things but one of the things i've really loved about your world is i feel like it was built off the back of like a feeling like an aesthetic that you wanted to generate and from there like and that's kind of what i've kind of gotten just as as, as we've kind of talked a little bit back and forth as well preparing for this is like i love for me like 
even just coming into the world where Athena is first entering it um, and coming back to Caldonics, I got the sense of warmth and home from it. And this also kind of just, I was anxious for her as she was going back because I knew it was going to be complicated. And also I just got the sense in it that she was returning to a place of warmth and safety as well. And, um, that kind of, it just keeps coming back to that painting Nighthawks for me. And I just keep kind of like that. That's been kind of like my, my guiding light as I've been kind of wandering kind of through this world with you guys. And, uh, I think you'd mentioned about like neon as like a, the neon lights and that as being kind of a, a sense of, a sense of home and things like that. I think that's, I think that's really cool. I've been, I've been enjoying diving into that with you guys, but, um, as we've gone in, we kind of talked through, you know, we got like a little brief history of the world. We kind of know about Caldonics and the surface kind of has a bit of a, a, a slight post-apocalyptic vibe to it just a little bit, but it's kind of still pretty somewhat coherent, uh, not super great, but like holds together. Um, is there, is there anything else it's going like on? Particularly post-apocalyptic with, yeah. hopeful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like they're on their way. I, I like to think of it as it's yeah. it's post post apocalyptic like, it's, like it it's, already yeah. happened we we've but... i intentionally made it in such a way that i didn't want to i didn't want it to be so gritty and dirty that it had that hopeless feel you know we we have that in a lot of culture you mentioned fallout i think that's probably the most pervasive example and i love mm. fallout so don't yeah. don't let me uh you oh, know, you give you the wrong idea vegas. i love fallout oh, new vegas is one of my vegas. favorite video games rpgs stories of all time it's amazing masterpiece you, you are right and proper to make that mm-hmm. assertion um hardcore but it it doesn't feel happy and like a place that i would want to live right so yeah in in world building and making the setting i really wanted this to be a place that was just filled with all the things that we cared about that made us happy and you know i wanted to share those with other people and um i want to touch on the hard versus soft world building that you just mentioned i think that's a very yeah it's a great it's a great insight and i think that that ties in very directly to what we're doing as a form of storytelling. So we're doing a yeah. tabletop uh, role-playing game, an actual play duet podcast. Yeah. Um, and part of s- storytelling with tabletop role-playing games is you need to be able to do the classic improvisational yes and or no yeah. but. So there there shouldn't yeah. ever be a hard stop where it's no, you can't do that. Um I certainly used to be that type of person, you know, player, game master, uh, mm. where it was, no, this is the way it works and you you must do it this way. And that stifles creativity. And I think um, I think it's totally fine to have very codified systems where something has to work this way. Yeah. Um, but we like more free form. We like being able to do the what's known as the rule of cool, which is <laughs> if it's really cool, who cares what the rules say? Let's let's go for it. Or let's it. let's roll improvise. It. Let's roll with right it. Right. So, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely wanted the setting to have that same feel where there's that air of mystery and discovery and we're, you know, we're only 200 years after all this happened and we finally cobbled civilization back to the point where maybe we can start researching and looking into why this happened or figuring out what the world is really like right now and we're sort of Mm. on that edge. Uh, So I wanted to leave it open-ended enough that we can build here, we could build another setting or another story in the same setting uh, but that people can also feel free to build it in their own way if they wanted to take it and run a different direction. So I don't know. I, I like I like soft world building. 
I don't like when somebody steps in and says, well, actually, that you can't do that because that's not how that's not how light speed travel works. That's not how dimension door works. Right. And and that's totally fine. (laughs) And I'm just, you know, I'm not. No, you're fine. Um, Mm -hmm. But I'm not. I'm not a studied science guy, so if I had taken a lot of courses and I knew a lot about mathematics and physics, I'm sure I would want to adhere to that as well, and it would piss me the hell off when people stepped all over it. But I don't have that, so I have the freedom of uh, somebody who doesn't know the rules and gets to make them up on the fly and leave it loosey-goosey enough to say, well, this is a super energy. You don't really know how it works. Why can't you try to do that? Give it a shot. Let's see what happens. I mean, the tagline for Savage Worlds is Fast, Furious, Fun. And I feel like yeah. that's what we're doing. It's, it's very... Especially uh, in the, the comics. It's pulpy storytelling, right? Like, this oh, is yeah. this is Star yeah. Wars. This is not Star Trek. And Star Absolutely. Trek's great. And it, Star Trek deals it. with yeah. a lot of politics. So that's probably not a fair comparison to make. But, you know, we're not concerned with explaining why the technology works in exactly it, the way it, it does. But the technician knows it's going to work that way. They can't explain it, but it will. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. So I'm sure plenty, plenty of people out there would call it lazy storytelling. And there's there's a grain of truth to that as well. But I think uh, getting swept away in the mystery and the magic is part of the fun for us. I'm continually swept away. Thank you for this gift. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) It's fun for me, too. That's great. That's the thing is, I think wonder is kind of underrated in um, in storytelling. The idea that sometimes we just see things that are beyond our comprehension, and maybe that's just okay. Um, and I've, I've, I've enjoyed, I, I think that's another sensation that I think your story really evokes for me in your world building. Um, the idea that there are these multiple different races, and I don't really know how they all work. I know they've a lot of them have Corey pumping through their veins in some, in some way, because it seems as if Corey even shattered up racial divisions and created a whole new sub races and uh you know empowered people to use different magics so it's like the idea that you don't really know what anyone could kind of do there's kind of a zany sort of madcap element to it but there's also kind of wonder it's a little bit like hitchhiker's guide like there it's kind of absolute you know bat crap crazy stuff and then also you go to a a place where they're building planets and you kind of get to be um arthur dent for a little while and be awestruck yeah (laughs) and that's great like i think that's really cool um i've also loved seeing some of ali's art for this because um it kind of has this really powerful uh it's it's very light, which I like. Like it's not super it's not super gritty. I get kind of a, a sense of warmth between the characters, but also even down to your map of the city, like it was neon popping bright colors. It wasn't like nothing. It didn't feel muddy. It didn't feel like um, the world according to Blade Runner. As much as I love that <laughs> world as well, yeah. but it was like the polar opposite. It was just like it was so exciting. So I'd love to hear from Allie a little bit about like your artwork and kind of how that interplays with the world building because you generate art on a weekly basis for it, right? Dude, I she sure is a, do. She's a machine. She's my <laughs> wife, and I love her, and I am her biggest fan always. But she is a machine <laughs> at how much she can produce. It's crazy. Well, see, it it comes from my background with um. I went to two different schools for two different forms of animation. Yeah. So I've been trained for years to work in a pipeline. So I'm like, yeah, I got time. I mean, I could play a couple rounds of Overwatch, de-stress, or. I could draw some more stuff, which would be really cool too. <laughs> so, um, honestly, like my the colors I use, 
I am not what you would call an accomplished colorist. I just kind of throw stuff at a canvas and just hope it all works. <laughs> but mm. my a big hang up I have with like a lot of current what's the word aesthetics in movies and TV is that it's it's all so drab and it is not yeah. fun to look at and it's like oh it's another action movie and it's it's gray and it's brown again. <laughs> don't forget the black don't forget the black the many shades of black but yeah yeah <laughs> my black or my slightly darker black <laughs> slightly darker black. <laughs> um but i just i want to make stuff that's fun for people to look at and is yeah. not a chore to look at so that's mainly what i try to go for i like that. i, I... I even noticed, like, in the narration, you guys you guys highlight colors a lot. Like, whenever um, Athena enters a new space, I, I hear Doug saying, well, you know, it's these kinds of warm colors, and they evoke kind of this emotion. It makes you think like this. And that's actually something that you don't often hear from um, from GMs. I think usually it's, uh, it's more like a static list. Uh, do you guys remember those uh, role-play games from, like, way back when where it was just, like, text? You are facing east, you know. There is Dennis. Yeah. He is wearing a sporty cap. And like, you know, and you, would you like to interact with Dennis? And like, Dennis you know, it, in his cap. And like, instead, like, and, and I think sometimes uh, it, it's easy to fall into the trap as a GM of just kind of um, listing stuff you can interact with. Uh, rather than diving and you know maybe we might get a little more lavish on on individuals but I like that you dive into colors and kind of and go into that and I kind of saw that connection between Ali's art and your um, and your descriptions of the world as I, I started to notice the colors and you would always be pretty specific about saying you know the colors different colors people were wearing and what's seen on that um, how does did, did you arrive did you arrive there on purpose or is that is this the first time you're hearing this <laughs> Um, I, I think I come from my my background in storytelling <laughs> is uh, more from, you know, traditional writing and, and novelization. And I've never yeah. done anything like that myself, but that's that's what I grew up with. So I always try to come at a scene from descriptors, you know, not not what you see is this man, but this is what the environment looks like. I try to hit the five senses. and I, I don't land on that all the time, obviously, hmm. but I think colors either help it's help, the vibe right? it's, it's the vibe you know it's the yeah. setting itself and you know like the feeling like you mentioned um it evokes but i think especially in our production there are a lot of non-player characters or npcs which are all played by me but because we only have one player it's necessary to to flesh out the world more and to let everyone know that hey it's not just athena in a hallway talking to one person here's all the <laughs> stuff that's happening on the side um, but there's definitely a line that I try not to cross into, you know, too much exposition about what everything looks like. So I think it's... we hit that a little bit with um, the description of um, Roja in the fourth episode, where one of our friends listened to it and was like, man, I tapped out for a minute while you were describing <laughs> this lady. It just went on a while. Yeah, and but... we we're like, whoops, all right, we'll dial that back. Yeah, but that's, but that's the kind of feedback uh, that you need and for moving forward. So, yeah. On that note, though, like how in, in your world, we've talked about a couple of different things. Like I, I like the thing with the colors and, um, and and like a couple of different touch points that we've had about how you make your world feel real. But like, do you want to expand on that a little bit more about how you make Caldonics or even even the character of Athena? And I know, um, Ali, you run the games during Patreon, right? For your Patreon only stuff. 
Yeah, um, I run a game just for Doug. It's my duet for him. Mm. Um, it's called Absolute Zero, and he gets to play this guy named Boreas, who's a Pantheon agent on the surface, just getting yeah. into shenanigans and trouble over his head, uh, which is ongoing. We haven't been able to record a session since, what, it's August? Been a, it's been a couple of months. It's been a while. It's just been busy. Really a question for both of you. How do you make your worlds like continue to feel authentic around your um your your players and for your audience members? Um when I'm building places for Doug to go as Boreas yeah. in my campaign, I try to like go to the idea tree, for lack of a better word, and like pick <laughs> off little fruits of stuff from other crap that I liked. And I'm like, I I can throw some of that. Maybe a casino this time, maybe that works maybe there's well, a little yeah. intrigue this week. Yeah. Maybe they get lunch. Who knows? What's he gonna eat? I wanna find out. <laughs> Classic storytelling. <laughs> I mean it's nice. It's a lot of like, what do you do? And then your response will help inform me of things that you might want to see in the scene and then i just kind of pepper it in there i'm not very practiced in world building myself because this is really my first campaign i've run except for a very bad D &D campaign which doug has played like four times with different groups of people i always have fun i'm so glad because it's not very good (laughs) no i think um i think kind of our mission statement is like i'm like we mentioned earlier that we try to fill the world with uh things that we like and yeah. uh, hopefully the audience that comes to see it would also like those things. Then we already have one thing that we can connect on. Um, I feel like for Caledonic specifically, we spent so much time thinking and talking about just minutia of the world itself and how things would function. A lot oh, of long car drives where we're just like, oh, what if we had this? And you're like, yeah, I like that. We should do that. And oh. then it just it's just a back and forth for like, yeah. A 45 minute car trip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. write, writing down notes and things like that. So um, for me, it's we have a very solid baseline of understanding. And this goes back to your episode four, uh, which was, I think, primarily focused on cities and world building in cities, which I yeah. loved. It's my favorite episode so far. Fantastic. Oh, so uh, we're only on episode five right now that's live. So for <laughs> everyone in the future who hears this, I don't know what <laughs> I don't know when we'll be. But I really yeah. liked four. It was yeah. really, really good. I'm really glad you guys liked it. Yeah, but uh, you you bring up the three G's. There's uh, governance, goal, and geography, I think, were the three G's that you pulled out. Mm -hmm. Okay, and just so many things you guys touched on in that episode. I I felt very happy uh, that I was able to one-for-one match them back to things in Caldonic. So, like, I know the city exists because it used to be a research outpost prior to the Zero. So when the Zero Mm. happened, there were some people who knew that this place already existed underground and gathered people to go there and then just you know fled. just fled and stragglers trickled in and it built up from there so the yeah. reason they're there is because there's this apocalyptic event and they had to go somewhere that it wouldn't affect them as bad um governance is an oligarchy made up of a couple of political heads of the city and two corporate heads that are vying for power and you know pushing in trying to take land yeah. and control and things like that and uh geography it's in a mountain range which only exists because it was a research outpost and there's like this underground ocean that connects everything else together so tons of tiny things but the the city has solid enough foundations that things just sort of fall into place at a certain point where you can look at it and say oh well we need this well here we can connect these three dots and boom it makes sense which is always that that's a certain kind of magic on its own when you when you reach that point in storytelling when it takes a life of its own and starts answering its own questions that's that's, it's it's I, I can't that. even describe that feeling. It's really cool. 
Yeah, because I, I think there's even a point where you guys go out and get like street meat in, in an episode. And, <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you're, like, you're describing what's going on with that. And I'm like, I was really, there's like a place that serves incredible lamb, like right next to my place mm-hmm. of work. And like they serve it dirt cheap. And I definitely had an allergic reaction to something I ate there once, but I'm going there. Oh, no. <laughs> like, and it's just kind of like, it's, uh, I, I totally like got that sensation. I like that. Just kind of picking some things mm-hmm. that like you enjoy and sharing the the stuff that makes you enjoy them. Like how greasy like the meat is, you know, it's just like, you just delight in it. Um, and also like, I love that idea of the yeah. story writing itself. That's rad. It's funny you bring up the street meat specifically because earlier in the day we were driving in Doug was like, do you think someday people are going to be like, man, they talk about a lot of restaurants in this. Is this just like a restaurant sim in a fantasy world? <laughs> <laughs> we just love food. Yeah, we're, we just like different kinds of food. So we that that plays a big role in the storytelling. It's just it's very you know. vicarious for us. Mm. Just dietary because <laughs> like I, I'm lactose intolerant. So I can't have any dairy ever. Mm. And it's just oh, what a struggle. But Athena sure as heck can so i'm gonna live my best life through my girl it's the real reason we uh we made this podcast is so you <laughs> so can I pretend can eat to cheese. eat fantasy meats and cheese fantasy meats and cheese that sounds like a terrible name for a storm um <laughs> right that's the fantasy costco well i was thinking this like when we were talking about the um the the genre you guys write cyber cyber fantasy was one of the ones you'd thrown out and i kind of want to just warn people don't google that if you're at work uh we'll, we'll oh, put no, links <laughs> like, no. don't worry we'll put links to the actual thing on like wiki or something like that but um and i think this idea of the story writing itself so seth and i have this idea and it turns up in episode four where we were talking about the it's a hitchhiker's guide reference the fairy cake at the center of mm. your world and i think what you're talking about is kind of finding the core aesthetic that you want in your world and when you know what kind of shape that's taken, when you know what the feeling you want to evoke is, the tone you're trying to create, the world kind of does write itself. Because you're asking that question, you know, does this fit with this feeling? And if it doesn't, it's kind of like, well, it doesn't fit, you know. Um, and for, for me, like, as I watch it, it'd be like, does this does this seem night hawky? It's like, yeah, well, yeah, you know, that kind of fits that feeling. Like, that works, you know. And obviously, there's a lot of differences because you have very kinetic combat in it and a lot of you know, really kind of like, like radically awesome gory fight scenes. And like, that's, you know, that's, yeah, yeah. Oh, for real. There's a little, there's a little bit of dismemberment in there. Just a little bit. Um, Oh, a little bit so far. (laughs) (laughs) But like, that's the kind of, um, that, that's kind of an interesting thing. I like that idea. You know, when you get to that point where it writes itself, because you're so familiar with what you're trying to create. I, yeah, I really like that. I, I really enjoy um not only your podcast overall, but I, I enjoy listening to you think through your thoughts because I'm the type of person who also needs to talk through my thoughts as I'm having them. And oh, that's no, just a, more an us. interesting way of <laughs> Yes, and, and it's a, a really interesting way of, of reaching those conclusions. Um but I think that's very true with the tone and feeling is um it it lends itself to a level of consistency when you have that established. And uh, it makes it a lot easier to think through and say, well, you know, this is what we're going for. Hmm. How does this relate to that? You know, if we're going for warm, warm and mysterious, does this feel that way? Well, let's rework it and see what yeah. makes more sense. The main tone that is important to me for the show and the setting at large is that, um, like, our real world that we live in 
is so hard right now. Like, there's just mm. a lot of weird, bad stuff happening. And maybe that's just because the news is more prevalent because of the internet. So you get mm. a whole world's worth of stress. It's inescapable. I wanted our world to be... Obviously, it's post-apocalyptic, and there are a lot of stressful things, but I want it to feel, at its core, very hopeful that mm. things can and maybe will get better with help. Because, yeah. like, there's a lot of media these days that's just like, everything's garbage. <laughs> Nobody mm. wants to live here. And I'm like, oh, but that's that's not quite as fun for me personally to listen to, because I'm like... I could just go to Google News and see that, man. <laughs> yeah, I can find sadness myself. Yeah. And oh. I do. <laughs> <laughs> but There's I just enough wanna, sadness inside. Yeah. I just want to evoke a feeling that, you know, stuff can get better. And maybe it just takes a little bit from all of us, you know? And I just, it's just a place where people can come and listen and, like, just forget some of the bad stuff for a while. Forget about your bad stuff. Listen to Athena's Listen to bad stuff. Athena's bad stuff. Yeah. Because <laughs> there's a lot of it. Oh, boy. Speaking of which, like, I, I like that element of your podcast. It's like, for, for one thing, I know I know Seth would really love this because Seth is um one of the things that we, we kind of believe just as a, as a podcast and building worlds. It's like, I think there's a mistake that we frequently make where you use kind of moral grayness or ambiguity as a shorthand for depth so it can be you know the world is deep because all the good guys do terrible things all the time because they have to it's just the real world and that's you know and i don't think that always has to be true i, I recognize that there are times where having moral depth in a story and having characters who do morally gray things to achieve noble ends like that that's a really classic trope it's like not not something i'm intending to tear down here but more uh, a sense that you know we we have to be bleak in order to be deep and i i think your podcast does a good job of dealing with some of that in that i think i, I love i love the idea athena is brought to reckon with uh, so so the story centers around a athena having left her home for 7 years after having witnessed a uh, a terrible event that caused her to need need to flee for a while and she returns and kind of has to reckon with the toll that's taken on her family and uh usually this is not typical rpg kind of <laughs> territory which i find rad like i love diving into that you know because you know the characters do things and they have consequences and um usually the consequences involve oh a dragon moved into the town because you left a power vacuum <laughs> and in this i like that it's family members moved on and, and things changed and uh you're, you're kind of left picking up some of those pieces but that's a very real kind of sadness that people can relate to and you you deal with it kind of head on which I think is kind of a cool way to do things as well. And like there, there is a hopeful element to it. And there's a kind of an inspiring element of watching Athena kind of cope through that. That thing's rad. Oh, she's oh. trying. <laughs> oh, good. I think that's wise. Um, but on this then, <laughs> let's, let's talk about some of, some of the like harder stuff, like the strategies that you guys actually like might use to maintain your world. So I think what's kind of neat is that the strategy of retaining a soft world that's built upon the back of an aesthetic so you just kind of had like a feeling that you want to want to draw um i hope that makes your note taking like a little bit easier but 
what are some of the practical things that you do to kind of keep your world in order and make sure you maintain things like consistency? Um, that's, that's a good and very broad question. Um, (laughs) I, I take, uh, I take notes if I have an idea and I have time to put it where it needs to go. Most of my stuff is organized in my Google drive and I just have one big folder for Athena and Caldonics related stuff. And then just so many subfolders. And I mean, there's stuff for factions, locations, uh, businesses, uh, regulation. I mean, there's so many subfolders. There's one for each individual character that has a document with any pertinent information or things that might have developed since Athena talked to them. Um, there's stuff for races, arcane backgrounds. Yeah. Um, I already said businesses. You know, just really anything. It's mostly Google Docs. And then having to consolidate notes I've written down or taken on my phone because I didn't have time to pull up my Google Doc to do it. Yeah. And smashing things together. <laughs> I, on the other hand take very few notes for my campaign (laughs) Um, it should surprise no one um what i actually do besides having a rough outline of what i want to accomplish within a session um i will um, i draw character bios art of Mm. all the different characters the major characters who show up and most of my note taking is just me thinking while i'm drawing them and then i'll be able to look at that picture and be like oh that's their deal i remember because that's how I studied in school, too, is I would just doodle in my notebooks while the teachers were, like, explaining something. And then I'd be able to look at that doodle and be like, oh, we were talking about that kind of equation today. Cool. I kind of remember that. I think that's really cool. It's just a vague framework, but it, sometimes it works. But it works, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I think that's, like, kind of, like, the key thing. And, and the thing we keep finding is we're, like, uh, interviewing, like, different people and finding these different strategies is, like, you just kind of got to do what works. You know what I mean? It's like a lot of people have found different ways to make stuff that works. I really like that though. If you draw the picture and as you draw it, you begin to kind of, it takes shape in your mind and you're able to just from looking at the image go, Oh, that's, that's where I wanted to go with that person. That's the aesthetic. But I also notice you guys do a lot of accents. Um, and that's, that's a lot of fun as well is I, um, I think I thought for a while and, and the, uh, the, kind of reptilian race you have what are their names again Carnix, i believe Carnix. The Carnic, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. i i thought all it. of them just had like genteel southern accents for a while um until until more of them started to show up but just while we had tuka and uh one, one character a prominent npc and another character who um did the announcement on the train coming into Caldonics. They both had like these Southern accents. I was like, Oh, this is rad. Are we going to have like these sweet Southern accents or all of the, uh, all of the kind of uh, reptilian races that show up. So I was kind of excited about that. That can work as like a short. And then Phil well. Nutter shows up. <laughs> Phil Nutter was, and, um, is, is that, incredible. <laughs> he yeah. is a gift. I'm glad, I'm glad I, you like Phil Nutter. I love Phil so much. He's such a garbage can. <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I appreciate that feedback, and um, I think very early on, it was a very broad paintbrush of, well, maybe all, all the people of this race would use this accent, yeah. um, but I, I really didn't want to pigeonhole it into all of X race has to be X. Yeah. You know, each race has different physical attributes and bonuses and penalties that they get, but I still wanted there to be a feeling of uh, diversity, 
-hmm. even within each race. This is one of the things I really wanted to do with the setting is make it so that conflict was between, you know, regions or cultures rather than, you know, specific racial things with the exception of the arrow, which is on a very low key. And only with the toppers. And only with, and only with one specific group of people. Um, but even within the city of Caledonics, this isn't something we've really gotten into, but the, the more Southern accent, uh, comes from the waterfront district, which on the map is like the very Northeast and all the agriculture stuff. So Mm. people that grew up there would walk away sounding more like that. But, um, (laughs) the way I hand waved having all these completely different accents, uh, from our world just stuffed into one sitting in the setting is, you know, this was a this was a mecca. This was a, a safe haven that many different people fled to from the region. So my internal thought was, the accents probably stuck with them as part of whatever culture they brought with them to the city, mm. and you know, disseminated out a bit maybe to where they lived within the city itself, and then even at a certain point just went away entirely. So you could kind be like, from anywhere and have any kind of speech. Yeah. So you have like Little Italy in New York or something like that. Yeah, no, that's really cool. Sort of, yeah. yeah. Uh, another thing I just kind of wanted to wanted to talk about, and this is a question we love to ask our um, our interviewees: What's something that you wish you knew, like at the start of your world building kind of process? Something that would have just gotten you miles ahead if you could tell yourself that. Oh boy, that's a broad one. <laughs> yeah, um, it's a big boy. <laughs> it's a big, big boy. boy. <laughs> I think advice I'd give us is maybe wait for good equipment, but don't wait too long. <laughs> Please just start. You're going to have such a good time. Just dive in. Yeah. But also, we needed some time to let these marinate, but we probably could have started a little sooner. Mm. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, my biggest thing is uh, I wish we would have started earlier. And I mentioned that we talked about a lot of this stuff conceptually for a very long time um, before we actually started playing. At least a couple of months. We were throwing ideas around before we did. Like very heavily. Once we were like, Savage Worlds is the system we're going to use. Because you were in the middle middle of like homebrewing a setting kind of. Yeah, I was was trying to homebrew a setting with mechanics and things like just It it was a huge ordeal, but I hadn't found a system that I wanted to use. And then a friend of ours introduced us to Savage Worlds and it just fell into our lap and a lot of things. We just fell in love with it. It's amazing. It was like coming home Mm -hmm. to a home we didn't know we had. Um, So starting earlier, you know, it's fun to sit around and think of ideas that are cool, but write them down. You know, even if it's disorganized in a notepad with, with your hand or in your phone, just write them down. That way you have them and you can always look back at them. I can't tell you how much progress i've lost just when i had a cool idea and was like yeah, i'll get back to that and then two minutes later i couldn't remember what it was i've had a couple cool That's dreams amazing. about the, mm-hmm. the setting where i'm like i wake up in a sweat and i'm like oh i've got to tell bolt something and then i go back to sleep and i can never remember what i was supposed to tell bolt yeah um you know, writing them down organizing them making sure they flow well that that's always been a struggle for me personally just with yeah. motivation and procrastination i'm just a lazy person so it I, it takes extra <laughs> effort to do it but it's it's necessary and it's worth doing so if you have an if you have something you're excited about start it sooner rather than later you'll be happy in the future um the other piece of advice uh <laughs> and this is probably going to sound more pretentious because i'm going to reference a quote uh, which is summarized as kill your darlings 
Uh, oh. It's a very famous uh, from uh, summarized from William Faulkner. I know Stephen King brought it up, you know, more recently than that. But it's it's mm. the concept that um, when you're writing or creating, we have a tendency to hold on to all of our cool ideas, right? You have a you have an idea that you fall in love with, and you just want it to work, and you want to fit it in somewhere and just make yeah. it happen. But in your heart, you just know it won't but you can't bring yourself to cut it or not include it. And then you end up with a mess that's either off tone or you get stuck or you get writer's block and you can't do it. And sometimes you just need to let it go and cut it and set it aside or recycle it for later on. Uh, And that's always hard when you get, when you just fall in love with something and it doesn't work out the way you want it to. Um, So creativity and as a process, I think you just need to make your peace with that and get used to telling yourself no from time to time and, moving on and not getting hung up man the amount of goofs i've cut from this show <laughs> i think they're very funny <laughs> they're very off tone and no one else should hear them because um, it's real immersion breaking <laughs> no I, I it's it's fun but it it we have fun and we cut a lot of us goofing oh, around God, from the show so much goofing. Uh, because yeah. it just kind of disrupts the storytelling tone and it would, it would I do be a little different some goofs but yeah. only the quality the top tier goofs <laughs> if you will good to know um, yeah, <laughs> the, uh, the, the last prop. point. <laughs> exactly. The last point from um, what I would have, what I say to give my, <laughs> the last point for giving myself advice would yeah. be uh, another pretentious quote: "Don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good," and that always really resonated with me. Yeah. Uh, to the point, you know, I'd want to have this perfect idea and I'd want to fit it in so that it it just worked in the best way it could, and I'd be you know, upset with it and it wouldn't be quite what I imagined or what I wanted it to be. And I get so hung up trying to polish it, you know, spit shine that it would fall apart or I'd lose interest or I'd get fed up and move on. So don't let the, you know, try the act of trying to perfect something, prevent you from just making it good and moving on to something else and coming back later. I actually wanted to add this, like, and this, this is, this is presumptuous. You know, you gave me this great list of uh, things you would tell yourself before. And I think one real advantage you two have is that you are collaborators. And I know that I would not have started this podcast were it not for Seth kind of, um, kind of pushing me in a lot of ways and challenging me. And I see that really between the two of you, that you're kind of very capable of, uh, being quite real about each other's kind of uh, flaws on like a creative level, but also you big each other up. And I think that that cocktail of um, apt criticism and an encouragement that you guys have between each other is, is effective. And I think it shows through your show. So um, th- yeah, that's, that's one thing I would add to your list of things you would tell yourself <laughs> looking back, but it's something that I see. And I, I thought I'd, you know, throw that in there as well. But, um, thank you. That's that's very flattering. Thank you. Yeah, it's rad. I've just I've been enjoying it. This is something really new for me. I'm glad I'm glad Dave connected us. Um, but before Dave. we oh, he's call so it, cool. We love oh. seeing him at comic cons whenever. We're just like oh, it's Dave. We love you, Dave. <laughs> if you if you listen to this, we love you. You're, I need more of your books. <laughs> you're a good man, and we're looking forward to him. Looking that's forward rad. to him. Well, him and his and his next volume. Ah, <laughs> 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 Sorry, my well, brain had to catch up. Yeah. So. <laughs> Where can we find your stuff? What's the best way to get it? And uh, I've got, I've got, I've got, a, I've got a follow-up question as well. Are you planning on releasing a Savage World supplement at some point? Because I want to play in your world. Oh, that's so flattering, dude! Thank you. That is very flattering. Thank you. Um, 
Uh, we are planning on eventually releasing a supplement, hopefully as a setting book. Um, we're still very much in alpha. I feel like all of our planning up to yeah. <laughs> starting the podcast was something even before alpha. What Pre, was that? It's Pre-alpha. 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 Yeah, that's yeah. a thing, right? <laughs> sure. Yeah. So I feel like with the ideas that we generate through playing them out in the show, we'll hopefully scrape together enough ideas to make a pretty cool PDF at some point. It's playtesting. Yeah. You know, things yeah. can change yeah, yeah. and that's okay. And uh, But yes, we would like to eventually create a supplement for Savage Worlds. Um, you know, they do licensing for fan-based products. Um, I oh, don't know when right. that would be. But... Uh, down the road down, down the someday. road someday. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, if anybody ever has questions about the world or um, wants to know how something works, they can, of course, reach out to us in the meantime. And we're happy to talk about it. Yeah. So our website is rpgforyouandme.com uh we are on twitter at rpg for you and me um i am on twitter at you see the hat people can chat with doug on our patron exclusive discord it's uh patreon.com slash rpg for you and me um turns out we were not searchable on the website for the first six months of production yeah, four to five months now. so we're searchable now so it's easier to find us it was marked as explicit content and as rowdy as we get with nasty words and um you know yeah. combat there's no explicit content yeah this is a definitely a mature themed podcast so if you have kids in the room while you're listening maybe don't listen while they're in the room <laughs> Hey, well, thank you guys so much for joining us. I'm really, really grateful that you guys uh, would give your time to us. So thank you so much. Hey, we love a chat. Absolutely. No problem, I, would, I would certainly come back and do it again in the future if uh, there's something specific you guys want to talk about. Well, yeah, we love you guys. Thank you so much. Thank Dude, you, thanks for having us. Thank you for joining Seth and I on the World Craft Club podcast. Please go ahead and like us, subscribe to us on your preferred app. And if you use iTunes, rate us five stars if you think we're worth the rating. It really helps our numbers. If you're listening here, you're missing out on half the content along with loads of other goodies. So please consider becoming an exclusive club member at our Patreon page, starting at as low as $5 a month. If you have any questions, you can go ahead and jump on our webpage, worldcraftclub.com, to get the latest updates on our blog. We're also available on Twitter and Instagram. This has been the Worldcraft Club podcast. Thank you for listening.